0: Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe.
1: Welcome, everybody, to the Inferno Podcast, episode 23. I'm Dana Scott. Co-host here is Mr. Orange, aka Dr. Patrick Batillo, the state champion of the 4A conference for the Arizona Interscholastic Association. Congratulations to you. Cedric yes, sir. Dallas will be late to our podcast today. Uh, we'll talk about a couple things a lot of rivalries, uh, stuff with the Suns and Mavericks on Sunday, that chippiness that went on between. Devin Booker and Luka Doncic and Devin Booker and Kyrie Irving and the sub-plot, oui. yeah, <laughs> the subplot of Kevin Durant going against his former teammate, Kyrie Irving on the Mavericks. And we'll talk about Kevin Durant's uh, basically being the Moses to the Suns, parting the Red Sea for the Suns offense, opening up everybody else. And we'll discuss the emergence of Josh Okoji uh, as a fifth starter in the Suns lineup now that Kevin Durant is with the Suns. First, we are going to discuss the celebration as we should, as the Sun say they celebrate everything. We celebrate everything here on the Inferno podcast, meaning our own Patrick Patillo's victory and this 4A state championship last Thursday on March the second. Second, yep. Yeah. So you were an alma mater. Your alma mater is Peoria. Yes, high school. sir. And you know, you I saw your tweet thread you basically started as a volunteer coach and moved into JV and you graduated class of 2004. Correct. Yes sir. Awesome. And then now look at where you are man atop of the, you know the uh, of the AIA's 4A conference with a great group of kids, uh, you beat uh, a very, very uh, tough Deer Valley squad uh, and they had their own miracle. Uh, against Mesquite in the semifinals with that last second buzzer beater layup, which was a taste of Mesquite's own medicine from last year with that Mesquite miracle shot from half court. Uh, so, shout out to Deer Valley. And let's talk about the cutting down the nets, which is a great moment for me to see with you and your team.
2: Yeah, I mean, you hit it, Dana. Uh, I couldn't be more proud, you know, uh, leading a group of young men, uh, you know, I've been coaching for 20 years uh, at Peoria for nine now. Uh, first five years volunteer, and then uh, moved into the JV head coach. The same year, I took over varsity three games in interim, uh, and then uh, was awarded the the full time position that off season. And um, you know, three years later, <clears throat> that year we actually were in the state championship game. The year I was interim, and uh, came up short in overtime. Uh, Andrew Camacho, uh, who's one of my four seniors, was on the varsity squad, uh, so we had the same locker room, same bench. Uh, so definitely wanted to to have a different ending to what we had in in. Uh, 2020 so um, an amazing hard-fought game as you said Deer Valley that's a region rival Uh, we have great respect for them coach Jed Dunn and their team Uh, so coming in we had already won twice this year in our region play and uh, beating any team three times in a year is extremely difficult let alone in the championship and let alone against uh, a very very talented squad like Deer Valley so um it was a hard-fought game. Uh, first half, Deer Valley controlled uh, really every facet. We weren't executing uh, properly. Shots weren't falling. Uh, so at halftime, we just talked about those adjustments and uh, you know having just 16 minutes to go out there, leave it all on the line. I have four super strong seniors as well as a great group of underclassmen and. Uh, we got out there we executed well even having uh calvin winley one of my starters in foul trouble who's also a senior had to sit almost the entire third and when he came in in the fourth just you know brought that intensity and what he does on both ends and we were able to to pull away and get that win and as you said uh you know no better feeling than reaching the top of uh you know the pinnacle of the sport that you're coaching and uh to do so with you know young men and uh as you guide them through uh, not just basketball but life uh was really the accumulation of of everything that we had been working on and uh, the hard work that started over a year ago. Uh, Mesquite is actually who we lost to in the quarterfinals last year. They went on to, you know, win it all. And so uh, being able to come back and, uh, battle that next day all the way up until last Thursday night uh, was truly remarkable. And then cutting the nets down, our Peoria faithful was everywhere. Every corner of uh, Veterans Memorial Coliseum, you saw uh, the the green and gold, and all of our alum and supporters and student section. And uh, you know they stayed till the very end with us. We were there probably two hours after uh, we cut the nets down, uh, just celebrating. There was no game after us, so that was that was great. And uh, yeah, I appreciate you being there. That was awesome to see you and be able to to chat with you right after the victory. And uh, yeah, like I said, I couldn't be more proud now. uh, Many of the media asks, you know, what's going to feel better? And it's like, the Suns, if they do it, and I said, I hope the Suns do it. This will be a perfect year going from uh, my Panthers to the Suns. But um, obviously, I want the Suns to win. But when you're coaching a team and you're as invested day in and day out with the the lives of these young men, you know, you can't replace that feeling of, uh, you know, winning alongside of them versus the Suns. Uh, that'll feel special to me, no doubt. But uh, there'll be nothing like, you know, winning uh, with your, your high school team that you've coached.
1: Right. I mean, being a super fan is great. And the Suns uh, arena, you are a 13 year season ticket holder, correct? Or 12.
2: Uh, 20, 21 season 21. ticket. 13 is Mr. Orange. Yeah. Right. 13 is Mr. Orange. And so,
1: but the do it at your high school where you graduated, and it's basically 20 years in the making, if you, yeah. you know, because of, you know, 2004, and you want to do the math included that yeah. year. It's just the fact that you love this sport and, you know, just to bring up the life angle of this for yourself. You've had a very trying year with your family, and then you actually had your doctorate defended uh, at GCU a couple months ago. And, you know, I, I just feel like I just wanted to be there for those big moments for you as a friend and as somebody who is is, is really happy to be in this podcast with you. And, you know, to be there, for, you know, with your, your your family for your mother's uh, for service uh, in June last year was something that was moving for me. And I was very happy to honor her as much as I could in writing that article about her being buried in the Devin Booker jersey. Uh, and also what your father went through in October of 2021. Uh, and, and, you know, with his accident that he went through and now he's home uh, actually. So after a year of being in the hospital, um, so that it, it's a lot and it, I can understand why, uh, you would just, you know, scream out, you know, to stay as long as you can, not just for the euphoria of a win, but just of what your family's been through. And that's such a thing that needs to be addressed as well.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Danny, you hit on the head. I mean, my mom, I know she was there, uh, cheering us on, looking down on us, uh, and, and that's it. The day she passed, it was early in the morning of five 30, uh, is when she took her last breath. And then we had, uh, this was in, you know, the summertime. So we had, uh, our open gym, just weight rooms at 10 30. So after being with the family and, um, you know, seeing that she was settled, uh, I went right to that and, and we did our normal prayer and I, you know, informed the team and a lot of them were shocked. I was there, but, uh, that's exactly what she would want. And so that's, that's, every day that's what I wake up and strive for is she wants to see that smile on my face. She wants to see me, uh, bringing joy to others and making them better. And so I know, um, I have continued to, to fulfill that and then getting, you know, that victory, uh, you know, for her, uh, really was, uh, the pinnacle of that night. And, um, being able to to just be there and celebrate, knowing that you know she's looking down and proud, and uh, my dad, I took a picture with him. I brought the trophy over. Uh, we're going to have a celebration Wednesday at the school uh, to honor the team. So uh, I took the trophy and and brought that to my dad, and he got to take a picture with it at his his group home, and um, you know to see the joy on his eyes too. That the the boys are able to do that and we were able to achieve it is is truly special. That's awesome, man. That's perfect, absolutely perfect. I mean, it's a
1: storybook. Ending and continuation, I should say, because you still have to defend the title. So yeah. what's yes, take sir. to defend it?
2: Yeah. I mean it it doesn't get easier, right? We lose four key seniors. Um, I have you know, three or four key sophomores and a couple of juniors, uh, that are that are instrumental. So you're you're losing, you know, a big chunk of that. Um and other schools like Deer Valley uh you know Mesquite's still strong you have uh St. Mary's in 4A uh you have Cactus so there's quite a bit that are still going to be competitive and for us it began you know I gave them Friday Saturday off of basketball but um you know then the, the AAU tryout started on uh Sunday yesterday and then we were in the weight room again today so um it's it's around the clock um you know 24-7 24-7 in terms of 365 with breaks in there for your body to rest. But in terms of, like, work ethic and approach, um, you know, we won. We we are appreciative of that. But now, you know, we continue on, and it's it's on to prepare for next season.
1: Yeah, and my other question about the open division is something we need to talk about because the AIA, the Arizona Interscholastic Association, this is a very polarizing topic for coaches and parents, especially for those – Uh, who don't make the finals in either the conference or the open division, you know, they lose. And basically what the AIA set up for this open division format is they have 32 teams, the best records in the state from divisions primarily 4A through 6A who make it to the open. And then they get a chance to basically go further in advance to the quarterfinals and semifinals. And if they lose in the first two rounds, then they have to get kicked back to their uh, respective conference, right?
2: Correct. Yep. And exactly so, right. But not record. It's a PowerPoint. So it's a computer PowerPoint. system. Yeah. So record doesn't solely indicate that, but their PowerPoint system. Yep.
1: Yeah. So here's the thing that I'm wondering about. It, with teams that get knocked out of the open division in the first two rounds, and they have to go back to their respective conferences to play against teams uh, that have basically fought their way into the conference tournament. Is it a a, a kind of a roadblock for those teams get, having to play against teams basically in a consolation format, co- being kicked back into the conference tournament and those teams possibly making the finals? I know from the girls' side, because I used to cover girls' basketball, some boys, you know, primarily on the uh, prep basketball side in, in Arizona. and uh, But I'm wondering, what is your opinion about The teams that get kicked back and then you have to face them after they've already lost in the open division, which is basically the
2: pinnacle of the state tournament. Yeah, I think there's uh, there's many ways to look at it, Dana. When you look at the conference, so look at 4A, for example, this year, all but one fell back. So when you look at the 4A title that, that we won, for example, we had to beat all of the teams, but one uh, from a very strong conference. And so in that regard, that's a very competitive approach to it. When you look at 6A, um, for example, or 5A, where a number of key teams are missing from there, you know, then, then that path looks different, still challenging. Um, I, there, but the fact that they do 32 teams allows the top eight in each 4, 5, and 6A, and then the next eight at large, to go into this pool. And I think that the value there is these young men want to compete for a state title. And unlike football, if you get placed in this and that's it, like look at cactus football, not this past season, the season before they were a power. They, they probably could have went through and won four. A they get put in the open and football. It's only the top eight. They're the eight seed. They play the one seed and they get, um, you know, destroyed in the first round. Those kids are done. That's it. And there's no choice there. So, is that tough to swallow depending on the school you are, you know, that you, you know, had a chance to go for a, a championship in a ring that is still very challenging. You know, th- there's always debate to be had either way. What I love about the 32 team format is you get so many teams and experience and opportunity to get there and look at, you know, for example, the the championship game where you have Perry versus Sunny Slope. You know, Sunny Slope wasn't a very high seed, but they played great basketball. They played hard um, and then they get to the, the championship game and that game isn't competitive at all. And and neither was a girl. So both of the open games, um, championship games, I think were the least competitive and exciting of all conferences and all, all of the open division included. And I was at almost all of them except for 3A and Blow. So I was at everything else for 4, 5, and 6A and the Open. And so when you see that, it's like, what what adjustments need to be made? So there are tweaks. People have said you play the conference championships and then each of those respective champions then play for an Open title. Um, so there's a lot in the first year. I think it was, it was successful. I would definitely say that. Um, of course, there's always room to grow. And how are the top 32 decided? And do you use a human element where there's none now um, because of the the PowerPoint system. So there's work to be done there, but I think overall, you know, I'm I'm happy that there is the open division and I think there's, there's ways to make it stronger and better and more competitive. And uh, that's something I'm sure the AIA and I'm a member of the Arizona basketball coaches association, ABCA that will continue to provide feedback and help guide. But I think it was very successful for the first year overall.
1: Yeah, I think it's great. And also what you mentioned about those other teams that lost in the open final for girls and boys those teams Sunny Slope and Millennium uh respectively they were they uh, Sunny Slope was a uh they were in the championship game last year for 6A were Yep they not?
2: exactly yeah right.
1: and Millennium is a four-time champion in 5A girls so yep. they basically got that far and Millennium had its own struggles and they found their way and Sunny Slope was a 10 seed so Yeah they found their way and they went on their their their, their stride and, and as teams are supposed to figure out and then go on their uh, drive and basically figure out their way and their run late in the season to get to where they got. And then they fell short to a better team. That's what tournaments are all about. I mean, they oh, yeah. basically just have to regroup and just will themselves to the end and then just not complain about the results, whether they win or lose. And obviously, you're not going to play when you win. But if yeah. you lose, oh, yeah. you just say, you know what? We did what we did. You know, There's no moral victories, but there's nothing wrong with second place as we encountered uh, the best team and we did the best as we could. I mean, Perry has – they won the Open Division boys' title. They have basically two All-Americans. Cole Pete is going to be an All-American.
2: Yeah, no Tony doubt. Williams,
1: who's the brother of Oklahoma City Thunder uh, rookie Jalen Williams – He's going to be playing the McDonald's All-American game in April as a senior, and he's going to Colorado, and he's projected to be a number two overall pick according to, you know, two weeks ago in ESPN's Draft Express mock draft. Yep. So yep. I'm, when you got the, an undersized sunny-slope team against a really better athletic nationally ranked Perry team, I mean, yep. and also a nationally, Millennium going against a nationally ranked Desert Vista team who has... Arguably one of the best freshmen in the country, and the best one of the best players in the state. If not the best player in the state by now. In Jersey Robinson, who ended up with 21 points, and Shay Juoye, who had nine and you know and, and like five, like or six assists, and the best point guard in the in the state. And she's going to go D1 somewhere, you know. You're and they're stacked. I mean, they yeah. stacked with four elite fifties in my poll. Uh, for you know, in in, in the preseason, you then you're going to have problems and you know, you're just going to come up short, inevitably. But let's go to Suns because yes, we obviously have a lot to talk about, but because high school is obviously your corner, and I wanted to congratulate you on that. Thank you, Suns right now, they look really, really good three and oh. And like Monty Williams usually says, I don't want to get happy on the farm, but yep. I just know that the Suns look so much better with Kevin Durant as the creator that people said they needed for so long to open up the offense and have that third threat on the wing to basically get everybody else open. And they look like they're just so fluid.
2: Yeah. And it's scary, Dana. You look at what jumps to me is so many people are like, oh, Devin, it's not Devin's town anymore. Book's going to take a backseat. This and that. His his Look. They're gonna play basketball the way they play basketball, right? And since his arrival, I think Devin's averaging thirty five. He's averaging uh, thirty six and he's got Western Conference player of the week. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I and just love that his assist central. Yeah, his assists are up. Like, so look all around. And it's not like Kevin Durant isn't scoring. It's now you have to pick your poison. So where there's so much focus on Devin Booker predominantly over the past couple of seasons, now you have to respect Devin Booker. And when you try to go one-on-one or can't, you know, give him the attention you were giving him in your game plan ahead, you know, in the prior three games that we had where we had Kevin Durant, that looks different and that looks scary because now you're allowing one of the two of them predominantly, uh, no disrespect to the to the rest of the team, to dominate. And you can see that because his assists are going up too. So it's not like, you know, he's just taking just more of the shots. You know, the team is playing team basketball and you have to respect who we have on the court at, at most times. And let me be also clear and not getting overly excited. This is with Kevin Durant just getting back. So when you're out and you're returning, like you are never hundred percent, your conditioning, your minutes, all of that, right? So it's only going to improve. It it just started. And so yeah, it it is scary if you are not a Phoenix Suns fan or you're an opponent of the Phoenix Suns.
1: Yeah, I feel like with Kevin Durant as the attention he draws on the wing, and I looked at this stat too earlier. They they actually the Suns are the top team according to cleaning the glass and hitting corner threes. They're an accurate – the most accurate in corner threes at 43.3%. Um, and that's because Kevin Durant, Devin Booker, and Chris Paul, they draw so much attention on the slots and also yep. at the top of the key. When Chris penetrates and does his snake and finds his mid-range shot, he can kick out to the corner where you find Devin – I'm sorry, where you find uh, guys like – Tory Craig when he comes off the bench. Josh Okoji when he he is there. And he didn't hit any threes yesterday. He was over eight. But, you know, the fact is that he was open to get that many. And then Damian Lee, who's the league's, you know, top three-point field goal percentage guy, and he shouldn't hit up to 50%. And he hit they you know, one or two yesterday against the Mavs. So that's going to continue. And since Kevin Durant has come on board, you know, they were, uh, before they come on board a week ago, um, they were basically at 13.5% uh, frequency from the corner. Uh, and then they've jumped up to 15.6 at number one. They were third and then they jumped to number one. So they're hitting, they're, they're actually getting more shots from the corner because Kevin Durant draws so much attention and kicking out uh, to those guys that end up in the shortest distance three on the court. And that's gonna yep. continue over time. And so that basically opens up so many other people when you have a guy like Kevin Durant, who is the most you know, that he can just shoot over people at seven feet basically, and he could just kick out. And you saw what he does, and he just dumps into guys like um uh like Jock Landell, uh like you saw yesterday. What's up,
0: Sid? Hey, hey, what's up, fellas?
1: Hey, hey Sid. Hey, yeah, you got the Cowboys gear on, man. I see that from coming in from Dallas, man. When in Rome.
0: <laughs> when in Rome, do what the
1: Cowboys do. Yes, sir. No doubt. We so were, were just talking
2: about, about Kevin Durant. Yeah. Yeah. We so yeah,
1: were talking about Kevin Durant and what he draws uh, to basically the offense and defenders uh, and, and also opening up so many other people and why Devin Booker, who is the Western Conference Player of the Week, why he's scoring so much more. It, with Kevin shooting at a high clip that like just 69.4%, I think the number is, and why you, know, you see so many other guys that are actually just
0: so much more efficient with him on the court. What's your take on that? Yeah, we talked about that, uh, the fact that, you know, where do you double? Uh, you know, obviously one of the situations that I thought was going to happen is not happening with TJ Warren more and more, and more, and more activity than him. But uh, being in Dallas watching that game-ish uh, came in and really – opened up where you cannot double. You cannot help off of any one of those uh, threatened players. And uh, when it comes to Kevin Durant with the basketball, obviously we know how deadly he is. But I don't know, for some reason, they're, they're going small on him. I think they think that that's more effective, uh, you know, because if he gets to his spot and pulls up, there's really nothing that you can't do. And, uh, and, it, and if you have the – I mean, it's just second nature. Somebody that scores the way he does, your defender – you want to just draw over just a little bit, and just that split second just opens up for Devin Booker to do what he does, and gives him that much room. And then also, if Devin has the basketball, driving, penetrating, and and going to work as he does, uh, you you know you are obviously the game plan is to stop Kevin Durant, and then the second option is to stop Devin Booker, and then you just really can't help out uh, on either way. Uh, and Monty's doing a great job at spreading these guys out, and and it doesn't even seem like that they you know have to blow up the scoreboard uh, to be effective. I mean, they really haven't went on them. Both got 40, both got 50, you know, type of games like that as of yet. But uh, moving the basketball around and getting everybody involved just makes this team very dangerous.
1: Right. And I was going to say that about Ish. I forgot to bring him up. He hit all his threes from the corner. And I was just talking about how this that's the shortest decent three on the court and how the Suns are actually the best team all season long from hitting corner threes. And since Kevin's gone along, uh, gotten onto the past three games with the Suns, they actually have more, according to cleaningglass.com, they're a higher freak the most frequency of any team shooting from the three because of what he opens up for everybody else. And so that's going to continue over time. And just seeing how he just... It basically, he doesn't have to score much. He only he scored thirty-seven points on seventeen shots, which is very efficient, as Monty said after the game yesterday. So when you played said, you, you know, with the Suns, your three-point guns were really uh, Danny Ainge, right, and also the second stint with the Suns. Who was that, and how did they get those high? Uh, that, how did they
0: get most frequency of sh- shots from the three? Well, our our biggest threat was uh was Dan Marley. Dan Marley, there you go. Of course, Dan Marley, you Dan know, and Dan was the first one to step out way beyond three and knock down shots where you couldn't leave him, you know, five feet from the uh, three point line. Uh, uh, obviously, Danny Ainge was, was was a threat, and then you KJ occasionally would throw some up there, and Tom Chambers, and then also Barkley. Uh, not really a three shooter, myself, Dumas, uh, but you did have an opportunity to get guys going to the basket, and that's what freed up a lot when you have. Uh, and Monty hasn't went to this yet, uh, posting up like we did with Charles. Uh, that was a physical – that that physical type of game where you had to double. If you didn't double, it's funny because I was just watching uh, Charles torch Golden State in Golden State game three. And, and Donnie Nelson, big Donnie Nelson, saying he's not going to double Charles. I mean, it's just it just opened up so much for not only Charles to go bananas, but uh, if you did double – Kevin Durant or or Devin Booker in the post, or or even if you go down to Aiton, uh, you got shooters and, and slashers and cutters that'll make it so much easier and make it very difficult for defenders to try to guard that.
1: Right. My next segment, so our next subject we're going to talk about is Devin Booker and Kevin Durant. I going to call it the Kev Dev show because these guys are drawing so much attention to each other, and it's just that believe had their top ten. And they had Kevin Durant uh, and also Devin Booker as one of the top ones. Shout out to Alex uh, for getting that in. So are they the best duo in basketball right now? Or is that just, you know, pretty much recency bias?
2: So of course it's easy to say okay it's three games in let's just jump to conclusions um but it looks very very promising. I I will say that. So to stay balanced um there there is as as said said and I talked about before he jumped on you have to pick your poison and whatever the game plan was to handle the Phoenix Suns prior uh to Kevin Durant's arrival and a lot of that focus was on Devin Booker that that has to look very different and you can't put all the focus just on Kevin Durant or now you're unleashing Devin Booker and so because of that and how as a coach you're going to game plan against you know that's just two of the monsters then you have obviously Chris Paul and what he can do and then DeAndre Ayton and so you yes, you have to respect that this is one of the best one, two punches in the league right now. And again, only three games in, um, Kevin Durant coming back from, you know, getting healthy, Devin Booker getting healthy as well. And so it's only going to get better in terms of their chemistry and, and teams are going to have to make that adjustment so early, but I would say you you can't not have these two in the discussion when you're talking about a best one, two punch in the league right now. Without a doubt. I mean, that, the way
0: they play with the basketball the way they play without the basketball um and and very underrated is kevin durant's defense i think that it's just a phenomenal the things that he does uh coming across and helping he wants to be aggressive i you know before he got traded to phoenix i watched a game uh i was in dallas watching him play against brooklyn when he was and he, he guarded luca the whole time like and didn't want to switch and Obviously, that wasn't going on. Vice versa, on the other end, have wanted no parts of Kevin Durant uh, uh, defensively. But you know, for you to be uh, a, the extreme offensive player uh, that you are, to want to get down and 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 try to stop their best offensive player, you know, to go back to Kobe days, and you uh, I, I don't even remember Jordan. Uh, I thought Scotty always had the assignment as the best offensive player. He was supposed to guard that best offensive player, as uh, you remember the. Uh, I think it was the '84 excuse me, uh, the 90 or 91 finals where he switched on Magic. Yeah, and- he got it in full court when nobody did that. Changed, it just nope. changed the whole dynamic of the series. They swept them uh, 1, 2, three, four after that first win by the Lakers. Uh, so, it, you know, that that's a factor that you're going to have to apply in. I mean, Kevin, you know, uh, he, he's that far away from going to the finals and probably winning the championship, uh, you know, when his foot, his foot was on that three-point line and, and on that turnaround uh, shot. At the buzzer, so you never really know. Oh yeah, uh, that's why we say it's bus. always got to do with health. It's always has to do with luck. Uh, but you know, if if you know, he wears a size 17. If he had a 15 on, they'd probably be going to the finals. Actually,
1: <laughs> it's true. Yeah. Now here's a stat that I just saw. Now last night when I was watching Sports Center, um, I, Wilt and a bunch of other guys uh, were actually the first the, the, the duos for the first three games together. Wilt was in there with the Warriors. And then number four was Booker and Kevin Durant. And I think the numbers are like somewhere in the 180s. But I saw a stat with the Knicks last night, and they're on a nine-game win streak. So Jalen Brunson and Julius Randle are both in the top five for total points since January 1st. So they're the highest-scoring duo in the new year, according to StatMuse, And they're basically on – they're 12 games above five hundred. The Suns are seven games above 500. Their Suns are in the four spot. The Knicks are in the five spot. The difference is, is that the East is so top heavy yeah. with so many teams in, you know, that are over 500, well over 500 in the top seven or the top six, you know, that the, before the play-in uh, structure comes in that they are basically, the, the Knicks are so, so good and that they're going to basically be lower than where the Suns are, even though they have a better record. But the way that the potency is between KD and and also with Kevin, I mean, with Devin Booker, that they're basically going to continue to rise. And you got to wonder what's going to be in the way for, you know, who's going to be in the way to stop them uh, come this, you know, the next rest of the season where they have 24 games left. And we get a preview on Saturday where it could be a Western Conference final or Western Conference semifinal between the Sacramento Kings and the Phoenix Suns, Saturday, March 11th. And they're, the, the Sacramento Kings are the number three seed right now. So we'll see what happens if the Kings get that far. But I have my vote for Mike Brown, for Coach of the Year right now, for what he's done to turn that team around. And they weren't even projected to be in the playoffs if the, the plan was supposed to be their ceiling, basically that now, you know, their ceiling is way higher and they're better than the Suns on paper right now. And, but in terms of talent, the Suns are better. But the last topic we're going to go into before we get off is the emergence of Josh Okoji. Okoji, Oko- Oko- Oko, I should say his name right. I've covered him enough. i written about him enough. I should say his name right. Okoji yeah. Oko- is averaging, before yesterday, where he had just nine points, he was averaging about just over 17 points shooting over 50%, 47% and change from the three, and he's got, like, five assists, and he's getting to the line. So what do you think is opening up for him over the past month and a half?
0: Well, I think the biggest thing is that position that me and Richard played, if I want to go back to our 93 team, is that people are not – they're figuring out, like, choose your weapon, you know. And obviously, now with Kevin here, it's it's – you know, obviously stop Kevin, stop Devin, then you got to deal with the, the craftiness of Chris Paul. And then if you miss a shot, and which I have to give props to, oh my God, the way Aiden stayed in that basketball game Saturday afternoon, Sunday afternoon and stayed focused, got a couple of key rebounds late uh, and just staying together. Uh, that That is key right there, not getting lost and, and, and your opportunity uh, not to have the basketball, uh, not getting lost because this is a different basketball team. This is a different way that they play, but I think he 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 really understands he has an opportunity to score a lot of points uh to get putbacks. Uh he crashes the board because most of the, the focus is on Devin, the focus is on Kevin. Uh, uh, and uh he gets a lot of puts back dunks and tips ins and stuff. You know, just being active. Um, um and and everything uh you know is free money, you know, with him. Obviously stat books show that he, you know, he's been up in the 18s in, in the past few games. Uh, but everything that that he comes about and grabs and gets, it's it just free money, and it's just an opportunity for the Suns to just get better. Uh, will he be an option where you're you're trying to stop and gear him? But you must be aware that if you do go double, he's going to follow you in, or he's going to put himself in a position to you know get a tip in, to, to get a key rebound, or or his biggest thing is the rebound slap. He just slaps the ball out and it goes back out to Paul or or, or Booker. Extending possessions
1: is key, and that's, he's so good with that. Torrey's usually good with that, too, because he averages, like, 2.4 for the rebounds per game more than Okoji. But
2: Okoji's
1: definitely one of the best leapers that the Suns have in those follow-up dunks and just those slaps and being able to Superman his way to get in, you know, two or three more possessions. Patrick, what's your take?
2: Yeah, as a coach, you love it. Uh, so as Sed was describing, he's like a garbage man. Um, and and as a coach, you love that because they're going to do – they embrace their role. Uh, there's a position for someone like that, and he shines in it. And so uh, to Sed's point, it makes it even more difficult because it's not someone you could just disregard from a game plan perspective because if not, he's going to make you pay. And that puts a lot more pressure on the opposition to make sure that they have a, a solid game plan or else we're going to have opportunities because someone – Is going to capitalize, and that's exactly what he's been showing that he can do, which is huge for him in terms of his opportunities with us. You know, we lost Jake Crowder, and so the role that he plays, yeah, it's not the same toughness in terms of like that that tough guy, but in terms of what he does on the court and what he brings, uh, that that's exactly what he needed to do uh, to help us and earn some more minutes.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. Well, thank you guys for listening and coming on, Patrick. Again, Doctor Patrick Patillo, congratulations on Getting the chip for 4A state championship. Thank and, you, said, thank you. thanks for coming on. For, I'm Dana Scott. Thank you for listening to the Believe Network. It is episode 23 of The Infernal. Till next time, y'all, we'll talk more about the Suns on the next episode. Of course, peace.